Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 69 for July the 28th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is David Schwartzberg, who is a senior security engineer with Sophos, and he's one of our data protection experts. And uh, I've invited David on the podcast today to chat with us a little bit about, uh, you know, the new Apple Lion and uh, what he thought of, you know, things of their encryption and stuff. And we're also going to, you know, do the week's news. So uh, welcome, David. Hi, Chet, and thanks for inviting me to this podcast. No problem, David. It's always good to have you. Uh, David, you're out in Chicago. I'm in Vancouver, so I think there's about a, uh, I guess if we're in Fahrenheit, probably about a 20-degree differential or more between us. But um, we finally actually got the sunshine for maybe the third time this year in Vancouver. So my spirits are slightly elevated with the opportunity of leaving the building soon and going out and enjoying it. Um, so I'm going to start with the week's news. Uh First off, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of hype and stuff this week, but nothing particularly urgent other than for Apple users. And I'm going to save that a bit for the end, but, uh, Facebook uh, announced uh, kind of a settlement. So we talked a bit about their facial recognition technology that they built into Facebook when you upload photos. And of course, like all things on Facebook, it's opt out rather than opt in. And there was a bit of a hubbub about that. And certainly, uh, Graham Cluley and myself aren't very happy with the idea of anything that affects your privacy being something that you need to be aware of and then take some kind of choices to get rid of. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, Facebook did that. And this week they, they changed their policy or they, I guess they caved a little bit. They were, there was a threat of a suit from the Connecticut attorney general and they said they would now run an advertisement on your Facebook page when you log in uh, at least twice for every Facebook user advising them about the feature. And then if they click on this advertisement, uh, it would provide them some sort of instructions for how to disable the facial recognition. Now, I know uh, you have a Facebook account, right, Dave? Yes, I do. So, you know, do, do you like hawk over this stuff? I mean, do your kids use Facebook and, and your family and things like that as well? Well, my kids are under the age of 13, so legally they don't have a Facebook account as far as they know. When it comes to Facebook and the ads, that's something I just generally never click on. Even if it was something to suggest making a setting change, I would actually make a point of not clicking on it. That's what concerned me. I, uh, you know, I was talking to some folks about it and I thought, you know, those that are privacy, those are people that are concerned with privacy are never going to click on an ad. So you're actually not reaching the people that might need to know. And the people who probably don't care are the only ones that might actually click it. It, it's, it just seemed really silly to me. And, uh, the, you know, Facebook's also kind of hellbent on eliminating the concept of anonymity on the internet. Uh, Randy Zuckerberg, Mark's sister was, quoted uh, in, in a program the other night as uh, talking about how dangerous anonymity and privacy are, uh, which is very bizarre to me. Um, but anyhow, so that, that's the Facebook story of the week. It's, it's inevitable. I have to bring up Facebook. So there, I got that out of the way. Um, moving on, next story was, uh, well, this one's kind of breaking right now, yesterday and today. Uh, allegedly, the Metropolitan Police in the United Kingdom arrested a uh, young man in Shetland, which is in uh, off the northeast coast of Scotland. So it's about 200 miles past nowhere. Um, and they uh, arrested a guy who's allegedly topiary or t- topiary, uh, depending on um, your American or uh, UK English, but uh, from Lulsex. So it's unclear whether the guy actually is or not. But the Met Police uh, press release originally stated that uh, he was topiary. And 
also for folks that maybe aren't um, as into the uh, Lulz Anonymous as as I've been uh, lately having to research a lot of this stuff, um, this gentleman was the one who seemed to be the one speaking publicly on behalf, kind of their PR spokesperson for the Lulz Second Anonymous group. So he's been on television several times. Uh, of course, anonymously, but his voice was on television. Uh, he supposedly operated the Twitter account, posted the press releases after the hacks onto things like Pastebin. So um, we'll see what happens. I mean, certainly Lulsec has gone radio silent since this kid's arrest, but we don't really know whether it really is him or not. There's a lot of speculation that that the anonymous folks have duped the police into arresting the wrong guy and have intentionally gone dark because that would make it look like they got the right guy and um, there's not a lot of deciphering this um, easily for most of us uh, that are, are uh, you know, watching from home. So I think we'll just have to let everything unravel. And uh, I think you mentioned, David, when we were talking earlier, like, you know, I guess the courts will determine what the, you know, whether this person is really responsible for a lot of this mayhem. And hopefully the courts will make a fair decision. Yeah, we really do need to leave it in the hands of the courts at this point. But I do have to say, any country known for something as haggis to be fine cuisine, I doubt they have the right guy. <laughs> well, um, if you've got, uh, if the Scottish that are listening have any angry email, they can email David at. No, um, <laughs> please, uh, please keep it out of the chat inbox. I've got enough mail to deal with as it is. Uh, the third topic here today was um, similar stuff on privacy and anonymity, and it's, it sparked quite a debate. Actually, I got slashed out yesterday on this. Was Google Plus um, has decided to dis- uh, eliminate pseudonymous pseudonymous uh, accounts. Um, so you pretty much have to use some variant of your real name unless you happen to be Fifty Cent or uh, uh, share apparently so if you're a celebrity it's okay for you to have some name that may not be yours but the rest of us have to be known um, by our full names and and I was quite upset about that I really don't uh, there's a lot of people uh, who social networks are a place that they share information in, in ways that often maybe they aren't able to share in public people have medical situations people have a lot of things where a little anonymity and privacy goes a long way into being able to find other people that feel similar to you and create communities and and to me the idea of facebook and google plus and most of these social networks is to create communities and we have places where if you want everything to be associated with your name you can do that but um you know i I just um, i'm not i'm not confident that uh, eliminating that as an option really gives google plus the the enhanced privacy that they suggest um is why you might choose it over facebook and whether they have controls for a lot of this stuff or not, I simply don't feel comfortable um, sharing my private information with a corporation uh, that I'm not sure how they're going to take care of that information. And, of course, being a public figure, I do use my real name on Google+, Plus. but uh, certainly if I wasn't in the position I am at Sophos, I, I'm not likely to have done that. And there's so many ways for people to lie about their identity anyhow. It seems kind of pointless. Like, if I didn't want to be Chester Wisniewski, why couldn't I be, you know, John P. Simpson? And they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to suspend my account if it's John P. Simpson, yet I'm still anonymous. Like, it, it doesn't really make much sense unless they start issuing internet driver's licenses or something. And the last topic, and this kind of leads into why I have you on, Dave, the, um, the Apple stuff. I mean, I know you did some research into the Apple encryption, and I have one important security note on Apple stuff this week, which is there was a vulnerability in iOS that was patched um, that brings iOS up to 4.3.5, uh, or if you're a Verizon customer, 4.2.10. 
And it's, it's a very, very critical one. In essence, what it is, is the certificate verification in the SSL libraries, the, X, uh, the X509 libraries in the Apple devices uh, that are used to validate things like SSL certificates when you're surfing the web or logging into your bank account or pretty much anything crypto related on the phone um, had a flaw where they weren't checking that the certificate that um, signed the certificate that you were receiving was actually a valid certificate authority or not. It was only checking if it was a valid certificate. So in essence, I could take a certificate for Sophos.com, create a certificate for PayPal.com, and then sign the PayPal certificate with the Sophos certificate, which is not a certificate authority like VeriSign, and it would think it was valid. So uh, using tools like SSL Sniff, which uh, um, Boxy Marlin Spike, who's quite a famous security researcher, updated his version of SSL Sniff uh, to take advantage of this flaw. So anybody could load that up fire sheep style, go over to Starbucks across the street and, and intercept any and all iPhone and iPad traffic and read all the encrypted traffic as well, including your Salesforce.com and your Bank of America app or anything else. So it's very high risk um, that this could be uh, actively exploited, and you'd have no way to know that it might happen to you. So if you are an iPhone or an iPad user, make sure you go out to iTunes, check for updates, apply that right away. If you're a corporate user, um, it might be a good time to reconsider whether it's such a good idea to allow iPads and iPhones onto your network because uh, there's no centralized way of uh, maintaining or forcing an update down to these devices, and they can't be updated over the air. So really what you're in the situation of at this point is begging your users to take their device home and plug it into their computer and run iTunes and update it and not really having any way to verify that they ever did. Uh, so that, that's, that's kind of a sticky situation. Um, I think Apple really has some work to do and hopefully they will. I hear in iOS 5, they'll be making some improvements to that, but, um, I'm, I'm not willing to sign the NDA because I want to be able to continue to talk about it. So I don't know what's in iOS 5. I'm going to be waiting like everyone else to see what happens when it ships. Um, so now David, um, You've been playing with Lion the last few days uh, and, and kind of checking out this new, what are they calling it, File Vault 2? That's correct. Yeah, they've named it File Vault 2. So rather than coming up with some catchy name, they've just kind of appended a 2 at the end of the old File Vault name. Hmm. Oh, you'd think with OS 10 being uh, an axe, maybe that they would have made it File Vault II. But um, so, what um, when it comes down to it? I mean, what can we expect? I mean, we we've. I, I do want to make a note that Safeguard Encryption for Mac, our our Mac encryption product, unfortunately at this point was not ready to ship at the time that Lion shipped. So, folks that are using our encryption product in a corporate environment need to make sure their Macs are not updated to Lion. We will be shipping an update, hopefully. Uh, uh, in the not-too-distant future that will uh, allow you to upgrade those machines to Lion. But for the meantime, you need to stay on Snow Leopard uh, if you're a Sophos Safeguard user. If you're a Sophos Antivirus user, no problem. We were able to get that ready to ship on time and uh, just simply make sure that your uh, AV is up to date before you click the button to upgrade Lion and you're ready to go. But um, so, you know, I guess File Vault 2 would be kind of a competitor to what we've done on the Mac with our full disk encryption. Can you describe a bit of like what what its capabilities are? I think you you told me you had a list of uh, I think you called it crispy and rotten uh, since we're talking about Apple. And uh, maybe we could go through a f- uh, you know a few of those things and talk about the um, I can't say it again. I'm going to say pros and cons. Well, as far as I first like to make a comment that as far as being a competitor, I, I based on the analysis that I've done, I really don't see File Vault 2 replacing commercial encryption, even for Macs. Uh, it's again singing to the 
Apple corporate mantra of that they're not going to cater to corporations. And they've really made this something easy for a home user or a professional in a very small office to activate and to be secure for whatever reason they may need to. Maybe there's some kind of sensitive information on there or just want to protect PII. So it's not BitLocker. It's not BitLocker, but I'll tell you, um, even BitLocker, it, you know, it's it's got its places in very small corporations. Um, I guess maybe to start digging into this real quick before we uh, extend this podcast too long, the things that I found to be crispy, in, you know, going with the Apple theme, about uh, File Vault 2 was the time to encrypt. Um, on my uh, MacBook Pro, which was released in early 2011, it's in uh, uh, Intel Core i7, two cores, four gigs of RAM, half terabyte SATA drive. It encrypted the 500 gigs in uh, seven hours. And it did That's a, pretty good. Yeah, it did a really pretty... I was impressed with that. It had a nice rate of 1.19 gig per minute. Yeah, I've heard that it may be hard- hardware accelerated, so that that's probably uh, giving it a little boost. But uh, you know, I encrypted my Mac as well with it to play with the technology and got a very similar result. I have an older Mac, and it took a little bit longer, but it, you know, it was, it was I was impressed. It yeah, wasn't bad. I liked it. Um, another thing I found crispy was the ability to stop the initial encryption mid-process and start decryption. So to use the Apple Favel terms is was I first originally enabled the encryption. And then just to kind of see if it was comparable to what we have here at Sophos, I said turn off the encryption, and then it began to decrypt the drive. So you kind of the oops situation. I encrypted it and went, oh, you know, maybe I don't really want to do this. Yeah, and you could back out. I thought that was great. So if anybody does start to get a little nervous about it or they they forgot to back up their data and they want to you know, run Time Machine, they can back out of the encryption, back up their machine, and then initiate file vault too cool the other thing i found crispy was the um the reboots during the initial encryption and decryption so that's something that a lot of organizations really want to be able to do you know you you start the encryption it takes seven hours right if you need to shut down your notebook for whatever reason or you you you, know, you start the decryption process and you need to turn it off or even just do a restart it handled it very gracefully yeah, that that's um, good. I, I actually what, didn't know if that would work, so I, I actually sat there and stared <laughs> at the screen and let it, let it go through it because it is a, my my Mac is a production Mac. I mean, I use it for producing this podcast and other things, and I'm like, you know, I'm really interested. I wonder what happens if I pull the power plug, and I'm like, eh, I'm not that interested to find out what happens if I pull yeah. the power plug. <laughs> you're you're not alone, and I took the plunge for folks like you just to say because it was my personal Mac, and I just said, you know what, if it dies, it dies, and I was very happy with the results. So. What's what's rotten about it? I mean, what what are the weak points? I mean, clearly, um, like all security things, I mean, everything's always a trade-off. Yeah. You, you do some things really well, and you pay a penalty sometimes in another way. Well, the first thing I'm going to mention is uh, that is on the rotten list is in order to change the recovery key, you have to fully decrypt the drive and then re-encrypt it. So now if we're talking about seven hours to decrypt and then another seven hours to re-encrypt, uh, just to change a recovery key... That's too many hours. 14 hours just to rekey something is way too much time. Yeah, that, that that's a bit strange. But of course, it's not likely that, he, again, going back to the, if this is targeted at consumers, it's not likely that they're going to need to do that very frequently. Absolutely correct. Um, now, if 
corporations do decide to adopt FileVault 2. That's something they need to be aware of. Um, you know, we've made it very easy for managing, say, BitLocker and for somebody to need the recovery key. It's stored in a database with Safeguard Enterprise. Whereas here, it's either going to be stored in an Excel spreadsheet or it's going to be stored at um, the App Store that Apple has. Right, yeah. So Apple does uh, um, allow you to upload the key and allow them to keep it in safekeeping uh, kind of an escrow on right. your behalf. Um, of course, you have to trust Apple in that case. I don't see any reason you shouldn't trust Apple. I mean, But nonetheless, some people that are more on the paranoid side may need to just keep it themselves somewhere safely secured. Um, what about performance? Like, how was the performance aside from the encryption? I wish I had the time to run all of the different performance tools that are out there. Unfortunately, I didn't. So one thing I did find is this uh, organization, Anantech, they ran their own review on FileVault 2's performance, and they saw a hit of 20 to 30%. So that's pretty sizable. It's a lot, especially if you think about what anyone is really doing with these Macs. You know, it's very media-focused, and when you're, you're manipulating graphics or you're, you're modifying audio files the way you are, you need those resources. So you need that extra 20 to 30% to process video or whatever you might be doing. So it, then they've got to weigh that through the protection versus the performance, or maybe they need to go get one of the new quad-core processors. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you slow a Mac down by 20 or 30%, it's going to end up being almost like using Windows. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyhow, uh, what about boot times? Um, I mean, because obviously if it's going to take 20, to, so is the boot time extended also by 20 or 30%? Is it about equivalent? It's, I measured that actually in seconds. I didn't look at the percentage, but that's a good idea. Um, you know, that's, a, that's something that people need to consider when you're adding full disk encryption or even partition-based encryption. You've got to have the authentication outside of the original operating system, not just for PCI DSS purposes and, and you know, guidelines. But it really keeps it secure. If you're not, then why even bother having the encryption, right? So um, one of the nice things that they did is they added in the authentication into EFI. I should probably put that on the crispy list. But then doing so to get to that uh, login prompt, I found that it took about 10.8 seconds, which is not that bad. But then after the authentication, it tacked on another good... Um, well, the counter went up to another uh, minute and 28, so I've, the math I found out was about 58 additional seconds, which is a lot. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a bit, an extra minute. And I guess part of the problem is for most users, they don't really ever shut their Macs off. They have a tendency, especially MacBook users like myself, uh, just you know, flick the lid closed and pick it up and walk away. But there's some risk associated with that as well. I mean, I saw that news story about the the keys um, for the encryption are actually in memory. So since most Macs have a FireWire port, it looks like there's you know commercial tools you can buy. And if you, somebody's Mac is on at all, even if it's sleeping, you can just walk by and plug in a FireWire cable and, 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 and be able to decrypt it. Chet, that's another item that made the rotten list. Um, you know, there's forensics tools out there. You plug in the FireWire, and unless you've fully powered off, you're susceptible to attack, and then it's almost, again, why bother having the encryption? But on the flip side, the way I mean I use my Mac is I like to close the lid. I like to put it to sleep, and then I go, because then when I need to get on an airplane, it's up really quick. I don't want to have to wait the additional, um, you know, the total, I think my number was like uh, 1 minute and 48 seconds before I can actually use it. 
Yeah, it is a little bit annoying. I mean, and I, I, I'm, I'm paranoid enough or prudent enough, depending yeah. how you look at it, to, that I do shut down my Mac every time I'm done with it and turn it back on again. And, and I had this very scenario last week when I was traveling to Salt Lake City. It's like got to the airport lounge, took two minutes to boot the thing up, you know, to get in to start doing what I needed to do, which is all I was going to do is like five minutes worth of checking email and stuff. And then I uh, powered it all the way back down again, got on the airplane, powered it back <laughs> up again to do my power. Yeah. And, you know, by the end of the day, I had wasted 12 minutes or something just waiting for the thing to power on and off. But I know the importance that when that thing goes down the belt in security, if somebody walks by and picks it up, I, I need to protect the data on that. Absolutely. And I agree with you on that. Totally. So if you got to wait a little longer to get to your information in order to keep yourself out of a courtroom or or heavily fined, it, it might be worth it. That's great. Well, thanks for joining us again, David. That wraps up Software Security Chat Chat 69. As always, for the latest security news, uh, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com via RSS, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>